the 20, the 15, the 10, he's got speed, he's going to the end zone, touchdown MSU! Dawson, out to Harris for a three ball, he got it! Kennedy looking, center shot, they score! They score! And said, good, it's good! He won't go anywhere! The Spartans are on their way to a win in the Rose Bowl! Completion! Impact Studios, the only sports show from MSU campus. This is the Pack, and your host, Fino. That is right, everyone. Welcome back to the Pack. I'm your host, Fino, alongside with you, guys. We have a great show for you built up today. Big news about Gary Harris going pro. So we'll kind of debate about Gary Harris's decision. Going back and forth as the sophomore guard declares for the NBA draft. No surprise there, in my opinion. But we'll bring our panelists in to debate about that. Red Wings are playoff bound. Their first faceoff against the Bruins will be Friday. That'd be really good to see them. They play at the Boston Garden. The status about the Red Wings, they did lead the Bruins in a series, season series, three games to one. So three wins in four games for the Red Wings against the Bruins in the regular season. That will be a definitely a firecracker, as I always say. It'll be a great series, and of course, we are talking, lastly, about the Detroit Tigers. Ooh, what is wrong with this team, this bullpen? Although it is manager Brad Ausmus, it's his birthday today, so we wish Brad Ausmus a special happy birthday from your family here at Michigan State. As always, from the basement of Holden Hall, Fino alongside his usual three panels, but we're missing one. No Harry Jaden today, he is at the Athletic Gala, I believe, so he is not with us today, but filling in. Is our always three great panelists, Faith Grigalecki. Faith, how are you, dear? I'm wonderful. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Good to have you alongside to my left today. Different. Yes, different. And Goody, how are you, bro? Doing great. Happy Passover to everybody, all t- to all my Jews and non-Jews out there. Hope everybody has a great Passover. That is right. Happy Passover to anyone who is celebrating today. We wish you all the best from the panel of the Pact and the rest of people on Impact Sports, Austin Goodman. Shalom, my friend. Shalom. And the man behind the glass, as usual, Lou DeVizio. Lou, how are you, bud? Good. Great to be here. Excited yeah. for some NHL playoffs. That's right. Lou, everyone, is a Bruins fan. So he's getting a lot of <laughs> crap, as I always say, it's from these fellow Detroiters here in the mid-Michigan 517 area. And as always, our man behind the glass, who is live tweeting the show on our MSU Impact Sports Twitter account, John Yales. So it's good to have John here. We don't have John mic'd up, but I know he would say a couple choice words. If he was. Number as always, guys, 517-432-3893 is our number. And hey, it's a great time to be listening. It's April in the D, as they say, on Fox Sports Detroit. And we're always debating and embracing the Spartan debate here in 88.9 WDBM East Lansing. Guys, that kind of strings me in to this Gary Harris discussion. I think it's a very interesting point. Tom Izzo did say today on Spartan All Access, said that it was a very easy decision for Gary Harris to come back after his freshman year. But his sophomore year, not so much. Gary did say he never wanted to get involved with the agents and all that. His parents handled it. And Tom Izzo referred to Gary Harris as being a special kid. I think we have a good quote lined up about Tom Izzo. And I kind of wanted to play that leading off our show. I think it's a great quote to really that breaks down uh, Gary Harris and what he is as an individual and what Coach Izzo really feels about this kid. I think he's a special kid. Let's cue it up. I mean, he was one of the best I've ever seen since I've been here. 
of you know his family handled it so well with talking to agents and all the things that you got to do but they kept Gary out of the mix and Gary had no interest in being in the mix and that is not the norm this day and age so he's going to be my role model for how I handle kids in the future and players because he did an exceptional job and his family uh, his mom and dad Joe and Gary did uh, maybe even a better job but I'm appreciative that Gary kept his focus on trying to you know, do the things that we wanted to do, win championships, get the Final Fours. And even though we fell a little short, it was a heck of a year for him and us considering all we were through, been through. And I think that will help him too in some adversities that he'll probably face in the years to come. And I think it says a testament on Gary Harris. He had a career year, as Coach Izzo did say, 16.7 points per game, four rebounds per game, 2.7 assists per game. But it just really says the improvement that Gary Harris made. If you look at it, okay, last year as a freshman, Gary Harris, I thought in my opinion, kind of broke out and stormed on the scene. Very highly recruited from Indianapolis, averaged 12.9 points per game. Turnovers per game, he was you know, 0.2 up in turnovers on this year versus last year. But look at the points per game differential, guys. 16.7 points a game average this year. As I mentioned, 12.9 uh, points Per game last year, an improvement there. Rebounds per game, he averaged four rebounds per game this year as a sophomore. As a freshman, he averaged 2.5. You see an improvement in that category. What about assists? As I mentioned, 2.7 assists per game. As a freshman, he only averaged 1.4 assists. Even in blocks, very minuscule, a 0.2 differential, 0.2 blocks per game last year, 0.4. It doesn't really matter, but it even shows the disparity fate that Gary Harris improved in every single category. You can even mention steals, 1.3 average steals per game versus 1.8. So to me, I thought it was an easy decision for Gary Harris to go pro. He improved in every statistical category. I think he's a superstar in the making. See, I disagree a little bit there. Um, looking at some of his stats, actually, his field goal percentage dropped 42.9% down from 45.6% uh-huh. last year. And also with three-pointers, he shot 34, 35.2% this year and 41.1% last year. So dropped a little bit this year. I personally did not want to see him go. Okay, but here's my thing about that. You know, you mentioned how his three-point percentage did decline, 41% shot. And that is for reasons, because pain was definitely out. That's and different right. Thi- you know, and different things like he, that, but still. He made more shot attempts. And if you look at his field goal percentage, yes, it was down, but he, you know, field goals attempted average, 9.7 as a freshman, 13, 13 as a sophomore on average per game. So if you look at it, Faith, as a sophomore, stepping up into a little bit more of a leadership role, he, he's maturing, as Coach Izzo mentioned in the rest of that um, release. He's maturing. 35% beyond the arc isn't too shabby if you really no, look at it. Mm-hmm. Look, he was forced to take more shots, but I think one point you failed to mention, he averaged last year around 75% on the free throw line, this year 81%. My opinion, guys, if you shoot 81% beyond the arc, or I'm sorry, on the free throw line, that is a great year. Anything over 75 to 80% is an outstanding year. I see your point, Faith, but I don't see it. I think Gary Harris was, Michigan State was fortunate enough to see Gary Harris another year. They got him for another year, and he's a superstar. Absolutely, and I agree with Fino 100% there. You know, when you're taking so many shots from beyond the arc, that's what your goal is. You want to have him step up as a leader because, you know, you were lucky to have him come back for that second year. He broke out as a freshman, as Fino's already said. He was taking more shots from beyond the arc. He was taking more shots from the paint. He was taking more shots from everywhere. And everybody looked for Gary Harris when they were on the court. You know, pass the ball to Gary, get the ball to Gary. You know, you also have your help from Adrian Payne, from Brandon Dawson, who stepped up at the end of the 
the season. You know, there's a lot of different aspects of this MSU team, and Garrett did a great great job of making his place on the team. Look, I think a fair point here, and we'll bring in Lou in a second. Look, you mentioned... Okay, he stepped up more, but guys, the secret was out about Gary Harris. He was a superstar coming onto the scene as a freshman. As a sophomore, the target's on his back even more. So when I see it and look at it, look, teams are looking out for Gary Harris. They know where number 14 is on the floor, and he still stepped up and made some big shots. Absolutely. Okay. You know, and before the show, I was kind of, I've been thinking about this whole Gary Harris going pro situation, Mm -hmm. and obviously I'm not surprised that he did. Because he's going to go high in the draft rounds, whether or not he went pro this year or next year. But, you know, I kind of would have liked to see him stick around for one more year. Just because of the disappointing finish to this year, the fact that he kind of got overshadowed by some bigger players who will go later in the draft than him. Okay. A.K.A. Shabazz. You know, so... I, I, I don't I don't know I I, w- I would have liked him to see him stick around one more year and just make a final statement that you know he is this guy that everyone knows. Wait. Okay, <laughs> I just want to cut in a little bit. Like yeah. I agree completely with that. And you know, Fino, you keep saying that he was you know he's a star right now. He but is. I believe like I mean he's the fourth player in Michigan State's history to score over a thousand points in his first two years. That's an incredible. That's incredible. You know, accomplishment. But my thing is is that he could be an all star if he stayed just probably another year because he could lead them farther in the NCAA tournament and he'd probably. If he stayed probably one more year, he'd probably become probably top 10 or 11 scores in the you know school's history. And if he stayed even further, he could probably become Michigan State's all-time leading scorer, passing Sean Respert. So in my opinion, I think he probably could have even grown more as a leader and probably raised his stats up because, of course, being more of a leader on the court. And uh, I think it probably would have put him at where he's at now. You know, I think when you come to college and, you know, your ultimate goal is going to the NBA. I want to be an NBA all-star. I want to make money for what I do. And I think that's the most important part, you know, when you're looking at it from – Gary Harris's perspective, he has made so many, you know, he's put in so much time and effort into college basketball, and he's rarely, rarely rewarded, you know, beyond awards, you know, beyond any of that. You know, it's about uh, sports are a business. And and that's so you're what I'm saying. It's to, about the money, I, I mean, ultimately. But ultimately, you want to go to the NBA. You want to make you want to make your ultimate impact on the NBA. He wants to become an NBA All-Star. That's what he wants to become. He doesn't want to become a college All-Star and then go to the NBA later. He wants to be an NBA All-Star and he wants to do it now. Of and, course uh, he wants to, to be in the NBA, but I don't see why. It's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be a star when he makes it to the NBA. But why Why rush that fact? Why not stick around for an extra year, hone your craft? I mean, when you look at guys who stay around, in, in basketball, in any sport, really, you, you become a complete player. You become a better player. Not that Gary isn't a complete player. I mean, he's one of the most complete players out there defensively, offensively. I mean, we re- listed off the stats. But stats are – it's not about the stats. It's really it's not, not about stats. It's not about stats. It'd be sticking around, and it would be that leadership role, like Faith said. It would be, you, you know, jumping up and trying to take this team a little bit further. Here's the big point, guys, that we're, I think we're missing the boat on. Was this the best move for Michigan State basketball? In my opinion, it was not the best move. Of course not. But this is not about Michigan State basketball. It's about Gary Harris. This is about Gary Harris. Absolutely. And I think when you look at it, is this the best move for Gary Harris right now in his career? Yes. And I'm going to give you a very good example. Marcus Smart, the star over at Oklahoma State, was an absolute stud in his freshman year at Oklahoma State. 
did a great job for the Pokes over there in Stillwater. He stood another year. He should have went pro after his freshman year. The kid loves college. People were chastising him for staying in college. How, you know, to me, I think it's ridiculous that a kid wants to stay in school because he loves college, so let him stay. I was okay with the decision. But financially, for Marcus Smart, it was a bad decision looking back on it. To come back from his sophomore year, he ended up getting suspended for a couple games for his altercation at Texas Tech in Lubbock. You look at it and look at that situation and said he comes back for an extra year and it didn't do him any help. It just harmed his career when you looked at it. So for Gary Harris, he needed to go pro now. It really isn't about stats, although I did list the stats in the beginning how he improved. But it's not about stats, Faith. It's about Gary Harris, and inevitably, it's about the money. Do you really think that Marcus Smart, that whole situation, is going to hurt him that much? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's going to hurt him that much, but it did cost him a couple million dollars. There's no doubt about it. You can't even debate that. I, I, I don't care about that because in the long run, if you stick around, you know, I think he's better for staying smart. I mean, if well, that's another at money, discussion. Yeah, but I think the same thing applies to Gary. Okay. Because, you know, you stick around. You experience a couple more things. Maybe you get in an altercation with a fan, and then when you get the NBA, you're not like Ron Artest running around punching everybody in the face. <laughs> but then you get a lot of people, Lou, that are going to question his maturity level. And in the NBA and in college, you always see people – in, you know, in college football, wouldn't you see it this, be better to question your maturity level at the college level than at the NBA level? I agree, but there's still going to be pros that are going to come in and question your maturity level. Coming into the NBA is big time, and I wouldn't say there's any questioning of Gary Harris's maturity level. They Gary Harris is one of the most mature players. I agree on the MSU basketball team. Yeah, I mean, I go, agree completely with that. But going off what Lou said, I mean, I think stay another year, build your resume like every you know any, anybody does in a job that they have, and build it. You'll be even better in the future. You can make the point, and Goody, you can make the point, though, that I think Travis Trice, let's talk about if Gary would have stayed hypothetically. You can argue that Travis Trice at the one and you put Gary Harris at the two, I think would be a better combo for Michigan State's offense than Keith Appling and Gary Harris would have been this I, year. Well, I agree with that 100%. So that's, I think Travis Trice is better than Keith Appling will like be. Like I ever said, be. it's another discussion, but yeah. for, for Michigan State basketball, they take a step back. But for Gary Harris's career, this was the right move. Coach Izzo said it was the right move, Faith, and that's why Coach Izzo even urged Gary to go pro. And I think that's very, very, not alarming, but very interesting. That's How, very impactful on Gary Harris. His ultimate idol, his advisor, his coach, the person that he looks to the most, told him to go. And, you know, that ultimately is going to push him to go. I think the way the, the public sees, you know, obviously Tom is going to say that. You, I, I don't know how Tom really felt, you know. And you I don't can, know that. You don't know how. And and so, obviously, Tom, Tom is wary of the fact that, if he comes out and says, you know, I, I wanted him to stay, how's, that's not going to look good. He had, he had to say that. I mean, I don't think that plays but into But do you think all. Coach Izzo actually wanted Gary to go pro? Are you saying that you think Coach Izzo is lying or hiding his emotions? I think that if he had his – you know, I can't speak for him, so yeah, I, don't, right, I think right. it's a no point. But honestly, I don't – I'll say this. I think. I think Coach Izzo would not be disappointed if Gary stayed next well, year. Well, Gary Harris, as Faith mentioned, is a superstar. We all agree with that. And, and what I think, though, is that – you know, Gary Harris, I don't. I think Izzo, even if he was disappointed, he's going to support Gary no matter what. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he has to. I mean, but who wouldn't want him to stay another year? He's Look, a dynamic factor that could ultimately lead them farther into the NCAA tournament. For me, if you want him to stay another year in college basketball, you want him that badly, that means that he needs to go to the NBA. Straight up. That means he needs to go because he's that good. He's that impressive. He's that dynamic. He needs to go to the NBA. It's, it's his time. He made the decision. 
I don't think that – I mean, obviously it means he's a good player, but I right. don't think that makes any sense. That doesn't mean he's mature. That doesn't mean he's ready. That doesn't mean that but being there mature. one more year is going to – obviously, I do know – I know he's mature, but it doesn't mean that being there one more year isn't going to help his career. But that also doesn't mean that going to the NBA right now won't help his career. Five one seven four three two three eight nine three is our number. Feel free to call in and debate this Gary Harris segment with us. Should Gary Harris gone pro to the NBA draft? Well – Feel free to call in and debate with us. I know Faith has her side. We have ours here on the Pact. It's pretty interesting to go. But, guys, let's break something down here. So we get it. Gary Harris is a skilled player. We're not debating that. But let me bring an interesting point to the table, okay? How would have Michigan State fared next year versus this year if Gary Harris would have stayed? Do we honestly think that Michigan State – and that's a moot point because he's gone. But do we honestly think Michigan State would be a better basketball team with Gary Harris as a junior on the squad than this year? I would argue no, because you still don't have anyone that replaces Adrian Payne's present down low. I would agree with you, but I See? don't think that's a question either. You know, it, it's not – I think the question would be whether Gary Harris being on this team next year would make them a better team without Gary Harris next year, regardless of Adrian Payne. I, I mean, obviously, he, he's when he comes back, he's thinking, you know, tournament, where are we going to end in comparison to last tur- year? He's th- that's what if, – if he were to do that. But right. either way, you know – Still a loss in the Elite Eight, and it doesn't matter what you think's going to happen. Anything can happen when it, you get through the regular season. Anything can happen in the tournament. I, I think it would be too early to say anything like that. You know, you can make the point because no one in – I don't care what anyone says. No one except people in stores Connecticut would have thought that UConn would have won the NCAA Seven tournament. Seven and eight. Exactly. The national mm-hmm. championship. So – and, and they were banned. They were coming off a postseason ban for two seasons. So no one really saw that coming. So I understand Lou's point. My point is, we, Austin and I made the point where this is about Gary Harris. This is about, and this is not about Michigan State basketball. To me, if Gary Harris comes back, you still, I don't think Michigan State wins the national title. And I know it's very I early to you. say, but I don't think they win the national title because mm-hmm. they don't have anyone that replaces what Adrian Payne brought to the table. And the only reason why I bring that point, guys, it's because the incentive for Gary Harris to come back is to win a championship. That would be the only point, was for him to win it all. And I really think when it comes down to it, Gary Harris would not have came back because he thinks he's thinking for himself, for his career. But the thing that surprises me the most out of everything here is Gary Harris. It's very easy to get caught up in the agents, the money, the endorsements. But as Coach Izzo said, he wasn't wrapped up in any of that. He let his parents handle the agents. He let his parents handle all that stuff off the court. He just loved playing the game of basketball. And regardless of the decision Gary Harris makes, I think when it comes down to it, Gary Harris is going to be an elite player in the NBA, and he's really going to take himself to the next level. And East Lansing is lucky that Gary Harris graced himself with his presence on this campus. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk Red Wings hockey. Their playoff push is finally here, guys. Last seed in the playoffs, though, but they're still in, and they face off against the Bruins. We'll debate here on The Pact when we come back. You're listening to The Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student, 
as a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's Progressive Torch and Twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to coverage of Spartan sports like never before as we embrace the Spartan debate here on The Pack. That is right, everyone. Your host, Fino, alongside here on The Pact, and we're back embracing the Spartan debate as usual. In our next segment, guys, we are talking Detroit Red Wings hockey, and more importantly, it's playoff time here in the D. More importantly, known as April in the D, is coined by our friends over at Fox Sports Detroit. But guys, I think this is an interesting playoff for me. You know, being an as-stater, I'm finally getting the loop of what Detroit and what the Red Wings mean to the state of Michigan. And to me, I think this is going to be a great series against Boston. First face-up at the Boston Garden. What is it? 730? Yep. Boston Garden. I love Boston say- TD Garden. Yeah, but I love saying Boston Garden because that's what it's usually. It's not the Garden because the Garden is MSG. TD, you know what? I got TD Bank. Great bank. But it's the Boston Garden to me. This is, you know, this is Boston. Anyway, Boston with their first President's Trophy since 1990. 1989-1990 season. Wow. What does that mean? Pre- Pretty impressive. But, what but about, honestly, it doesn't really mean much. But the, what about this President's Trophy curse? Is that a big deal here? Not a big deal. I mean, you know, I don't think there's anything to that. Uh, Chicago, they didn't, did they win the President's Trophy last year, Chicago? I believe they – I don't know if they did. We can get Leals to check up on that first. I don't, I don't believe Leals anything in that curse. You know, Detroit's won it, and they've lost in the first round. Detroit's won it, and they've won in the first round. I don't think there's anything to that. Yeah, there's nothing to it, but you know what? We can break that down. But look, let's break this down right now here on the Pact. The Wings are technically a four seed because that's how they do now. Both the wildcard teams are now four seeds. The Wings are the second wildcard team. They finished up with 93 points mm-hmm. as they clinched against, what was it, against Dallas, I believe it was? Uh, they clinched against the Penguins, actually. No, so that's right, that garbage goal that eliminated <laughs> New Jersey. I thought it was a garbage goal. I don't know why I said Dallas, but I was watching Dallas. They clinched the playoffs. I love the stars. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's talk about this Bruins series. I think this is a big point for me because the Wings surprisingly have a lot of success against Boston. They've played four times this season. The Wings have won three times. Boys, are there any substance to that? I, during the regular season, I think it's a whole different game. And, you know, the reason Detroit, or Boston rather, Boston had the same kind of record against Montreal. You know, and honestly, I think Montreal and Detroit are kind of built a little bit similarly. They're, mm-hmm. they're fast, they're quick, they have more of a skilled approach. They don't really play very physically. Their forecheck is in no way part of their definitions as a, as a team. But, you know, once it comes postseason, Boston dispatches in Montreal pretty easily. This is the first time they've faced Detroit in a long time. So, you know, it's, it's going to be pretty wild. Well, just got our fact check. John Yales just got back to me on this one. Yeah, last year when Chicago won the Stanley Cup, they did win the President's Trophy, but it was a lockout shortened season. So I think that doesn't really count if you look at that curse of the President's Trophy. So there's that. So thanks, John and Yales, for that little tidbit there. 
But I, what do you got on that one? Honestly, I think we can ask that discussion. It's not going to come down to that. It's not going to come down to the fact that Boston won the President's Trophy, and it's not going to come down to the People fact. People are talking about it. It's not going to come down to the fact okay. that the Red Wings had an injury-ridden season. So let me ask you this, Goody. What are your keys to this series? What does Detroit – okay, so first of all, who do you like to win? You like Detroit. I like Detroit in seven. So you like Detroit in seven. What are your keys for Detroit to win in seven games? Well, I'd say the first things first is consistency. You have to play consistent. All four lines need to mesh together. They need to work together as a team. That you can't rely on one line. You can't rely on one player in Gustav Nyquist or you know Thomas Tatar, Thomas Yerko, somebody that gets hot. You can't rely on you know Daniel Alfredson to feed the puck to Thomas Tatar or Nyquist. Whatever, whatever. You know, I think the biggest thing is getting production out of the guys that haven't been producing as much towards the end of the season. Johan Franzen, he's had a rough little stint towards the end of the season, but he's a playoff powerhouse. He scores a lot of goals in the playoffs. David Legwan, you know, it all goes back to consistency. It really comes down to consistency. So you like the Wings in seven. To me, I think the series for sure is going to go in seven games. I'm not going to give my keys or my pick yet because I'm very curious to get Lou's take on this. Everyone, I just want so our listeners realize this. Austin is a big Red Wings fan. Lou is a big Bruins fan. So to me, I think this is going to be a great series. I think it's going to be fun with everyone in studio here at the Pact. But Lou, you have a little bet, apparently, that you want to make. So I'm curious to know what that bet is. I do. You know, I'm a big Jack Edwards fan. Uh, he's the <laughs> play-by-play guy over there in Boston. So if the Bruins claim this series, uh, i got to bet going there with Fino and Austin and everybody here uh, that – we're going to open up the following show with a Jack Edwards clip of my choice wow. to rub it in a little bit. What about Austin? How about if the Red Wings win the series, we will open up with a Kenny Daniels clip. You know what? If we if the Red Wings win, I want to open up with my intro from Octopi Hockey Town wow. to open up for, for We that can show. do that. Which I made, so it's a win-win. Yeah, wow. it, it is okay. a win-win. It is a win-win. But when Lou speaks in that intro, I want to be the one that's so speaking. Our executive producer, that? That's tolerable. Our executive producer, John Yale. John, can we set that up? All right, thanks, Johnny. So we're going to get John to set that all up. The bet is in place, everyone. You know the number, 517-432-3893. The bet has been set up thanks to John Yales. You heard it. Austin Goodman's Octopi Hockey Town intro versus a little lose intro of choice, of a clip of his choice. I'm very excited for this series. More importantly, Lou, you like Boston to win the series, I assume. How many games? I think you said six games off air, but let's tell the guys. Six games, Boston Bruins. Okay, so you like six games, Boston. What? Are, okay, so Boston in six games, fine. What are the keys for you? Austin mentioned he likes the young guns of Detroit, Tomas Tatar. I think Johan Franzen has to step up if Detroit's going to win the series. I do think he will. Someone's got to pick up the slack that Henrik Zetterberg has left. He is the best player on that team, in my opinion. But he did mention Gustav Nyquist, who's been absolutely unreal and on a tear. I just want to give a little bit of an update on Henrik Zetterberg for everybody that doesn't keep themselves in the loop on the Red Wings. He's back on the ice. He's going to get back on the ice tomorrow morning. He's going to partake in the Red Wings skate, and we're going to see how he's feeling on Wednesday. He very well could return in this series if he's feeling well enough. Well, tune into our Twitter account, at MSU Impact Sports, for any updates on uh, Henrik Zetterberg's condition. But let's go back to Lou. Lou, your keys to the Bruins series. You know, I just want to make it clear, you know, I'm pulling for Boston, but I don't think it's going to be easy by any means. Oh, no, no, no. I think Detroit is a good team, and I think they do match up very well with Boston. And, you know, Boston's known as kind of a rough-and-tumble team, but this year it's kind of been a little bit different. They got some some speedy finesse guys. You know, uh, Louis Erickson came in from Dallas. Uh, Carl Soderberg, which a lot of people 
as far as NHL fans go, I, I'm sure they don't really know who the guy is. Came over from the Swedish Elite League. And, you know, I think he's going to be a huge key. Last 25 games for Boston, Carl Soderberg, he got moved up on that second line with Patrice Bergeron, which I'm sure every U.S. fan, they know who Patrice is. 20 points in his last 25 games. That's pretty good for a guy who had never played in the NHL uh, other than a couple playoff games last year. That's pretty impressive. You can't deny that. But, Lou, let me ask you this. So Boston is very keen on their defense. They score a lot. You know, not a really a lot of goals against. You know, the goal differential for Boston is plus 81. So you have any idea how good this team is? A President's Trophy does speak volumes about this club. But to me, Lou, the loss of Dennis Seidenberg, do you think that's any – does that have any impact or effect on how the Bruins defensively will play? Honestly, I think it's a huge impact. But the thing is, in the regular season, it happened. It happened pretty early on. I think they played something like 60-some games since his injury. I believe he and plays it, with Zidane, right? He does. He yeah, does. that's big. And, you know, last playoff and the year that they won the Cup, I th- I would have classified him as more valuable than Chara. Because, that's a big statement, Lou. And, but I, I, I stand by it because the guy chews up minutes. He blocks shots. And he's a great playoff player. He really he is. And he does not make mistakes. He's a way better. Zeal wow you with his shot. Zeal wow you with his size and his hits. He'll make mistakes. Seidenberg does not make mistakes. You made a point with Seidenberg that I want to bring up. You know, as a Devils fan, I, I have the likes of Anton Volchenkov, who is not really that good defensively. He blocks shots. He's decent. But to me, a Dennis Seidenberg is just a way better and more effective Anton Volchenkov. So there's no doubt Zdeno Chara gets a lot of credit. 110 mile per hour, slap shot, this, that, whatever. I almost like Zdeno Chara to the likes of a Mike Green, a very offensive defenseman. Yeah, yeah but he's very offensive. Mike Green. <laughs> Mike Green is very good offensively. Yeah, I'm, Mike Green's also like a minus 40 or something. Yeah, don't compare Zidane Ocharta to hold a on, lot of different on. defensemen Guys, in the league. I'm talking about an offensive defenseman, not defensive. I said offensive. You know, you can talk about Merrick Zidlitsky. He is very good offensively. Defensively, very suspect. Very suspect. But I don't think he's suspect defensively. That's my point. No, but I'm just, I'm just comparing him to the offensive stats. All I'm trying to bring up here is... You bring Z, he gets a lot of credit. Seidenberg does not get a lot of credit, and he's the number two defenseman. Losing him to a major knee injury is a big deal. That is going to affect him. And Detroit, who's flying out of the gate with Helm is flying, Nyquist is fast, Tatar looks great. Guys, they are very fast defensively, and Boston is going to be on their heels. Absolutely. And, you know, that was in my keys. I kind of got off on that Carl Soderberg train there. But one of my keys is I think – uh, Tori Krug and Matt Barkowski. They're two of the D on Boston who, they're rookies this year. Technically, I think both of them are, even though they played a couple games. But they're both guys who can skate, and these are guys who can really skate. Tori Krug, you know, everybody here should know this guy from MSU. Yeah, he's great. Mm-hmm. He is, and that's an offensive defenseman, but he is not suspect in his own end either. This guy, is he's quality, and he can skate with the best of them. So I, I would like to see him and Bart, you know, Z's obviously going to be out there against the big guns, but... You know, Krug and Bart, they're going to be able to skate with these guys because D- Detroit's advantage is definitely their speed. There's no doubt about it that Detroit's advantage. I was doing a little, like, a little fact-checking for you in my, offensive, in my offensive front. Mike Green, 38 points this year. Okay, Zidane Chara, 40. That's my point. Offensively, they're on the same level. Now, plus-minus, I'm not going to look like you know, a terrible statistical measure here, but Zidane Chara plus 25, Mike Green, not so much, minus 16. So I get where you're coming from. I'm just saying, offensively, they're on the same level. I see they're both big and both play great defensively. But, so let me ask you this, Goody. We mentioned this with Detroit. You said that's their guns. 
prediction front, I'm going to let you know what I think with my prediction. I think it's going to be a great series. I think it's going to be the second best series in this playoff, in this first round. To me, I think the Flyers and Rangers series is just going to be a better series. I'm sorry. But that being said, I like Detroit to win the series. But to me, Detroit needs to win at home. And I bring this up because Detroit at home is 18, 13, and 10. Fine. Because Boston doesn't lose at home. Boston has won 31 times at home. So out of their 54 wins, 31 of them have come at the Boston Garden. So for me, Detroit's going to need to get wins at the Joe if they're going to win this series. I think what you need to keep in mind, though, is that the Red Wings are good on opponent ice. They really are, and they are great at producing. They're great at using, you know, the fans to get them energized. You know, a lot of people around them are not rooting for the Red Wings, and the Red Wings fuel themselves on that. I think another thing to look at, and I kind of want to go back to my points of the series here, is that I think Pavel Datsuk is going to have the best playoff show out that he ever has in his career. And I can say that because he's never sat out as much as he has has this season and seasons before. He's ready. He is showing signs of getting quicker, smarter, and better with the puck, and that is scary when you're talking about Pavel Datsuk, who is one of the best two-way players in the game. He had two beautiful passes to Justin Ablicator for both goals in Sunday's matchup, and you know, you have to say, getting that puck up there and helping his players around him is going to be great in this series, and he's quick and smart. I'll comment on that, too. I think if Detroit's going to do anything, even if they're going to win the two games that I predicted they will, Datsuk and uh, Abdelkader, rather, they're going to have to be a tag team. And I think they will because, you know, Abdelkader, he's one of the only guys up front who really has a physical presence for Detroit. And I think he's going to have to get to the front of the net, and he's going to have to score that those goals like he did against St. Louis where you see Pav pull up at the blue line, stop, stick handle through three guys, saucer pass to – Right. and all he's doing is just sitting in front of the net with a stick on the ice. And yeah. that's all he needs to do when he plays with a guy like that. So I think those two, they're going to be a big force there. There's and Applicator no- isn't afraid of going to that front of the net. He will power to it. And another player that needs is going to need to step up and getting to the front of the net is David Legwan. If David Legwan has a good series, the Red Wings are going to have a good series. Look, I agree that all these points are very valid. But for me, I, I, I think this is beyond the players, guys. I think this is crunching numbers on this series. To me, I think Boston has a legitimate chance of winning this series, although I did pick Detroit to win in seven games. I think if Boston is going to win this series, they're going to have to win at the Joe. I think that's what it comes down to. If they can steal two games or a game at the Joe, I think this is winner, winner, chicken dinner for Boston because I don't think Boston loses any of their games at the Garden. That's what I think it comes down to. But I know you're like, well, Fino, if Detroit wins, you know, Boston has home ice. So how does that play? I don't think they're going to lose, you know, all four of them, Detroit, but if Detroit can sneak a game there, that breaks the series. Just like if Boston can sneak a game at the Joe, that will break the series. To me, Game 5 is going to be super pivotal because if, if Boston can sneak that game, I think that's where it leans. Game 5 is the key. I think you're putting a little bit too much into this home ice, away ice thing. I'm you know, telling last you. Year, last year, the entire NHL was around 30% win percentage for home ice. It was but, road ice advantage last year. But that year. was very unorthodox. It was, but I mean, if you look at years past, it's kind of the same thing. It's around 50, a little bit less. It's a little bit less for home ice advantage. You know, I never like comparing last year's playoffs to this year's playoffs because the guys only played 48 games. It's a different animal. So everyone is way healthier as they were last. There's no doubt, if you look at the injuries this year to last year, it's night and day in the playoffs. 
the injury report is double for every team. So if you look at it, teams are more banged up. It's going to come down to crunching it, and the intangibles are going to have a big play in this. I'm sorry. When you look at it, I put a lot of substance in home ice because in the playoffs, if you can't win on your home ice, you're not going to be successful, and you're not going to go far. But I don't necessarily agree with the fact that the Red Wings are going to lose four games at Boston. I think the Red Wings are going to win at least two games in Boston, and that's going to be the fuel to their fire I to think win they the win series. One. I think they win one game. I think game. they win two. I think, they, I think win... they win two and they lose one at the Joe. But, let... but, you know, that's what goes along with Lou's statement is the fact that it doesn't matter. This home ice advantage, away ice advantage, what is it? It's the playoffs. It's players that are going to try to win the Stanley Cup, and that's what it is. I think it's a defensive matchup, guys. That's the key. You look at the goals against, again, Boston, 177. Goals against in Detroit, 230. It's going to come down to defense and these intangibles. I, I, I'll bet on it. I'll bet anyone who wants on it. You know, when you bring up defense and offense, it's, it's kind of hard to pick the two apart, especially with, with Boston, a team like it's Boston. Defense. Well, the thing is, their defense is their offense, plus 84. Once they get the puck, they turn back up ice with it, and they make you pay. And that's what they do. I want to say something also. I want to talk about team plus minus, player plus minus. Okay. All right, so Detroit, they're the only team in the NHL playoffs with a negative goal differential. I did know that. Mm-hmm. That's, it's, I mean, it is what it is. There are other teams that are they just plus injuries, two, whatever. They had injuries, but fine. But Boston, they have 11 players with plus 20 and up, six with plus 30 and up. Detroit has four players over plus 10. That's it. Look, that, and, and you know that, that's what comes down. That's to defense. on both does sides that, of the puck. Does that not come down to defense? It does, it, but you got to be able to put the puck, the puck in the net too. Yeah, absolutely. and that's the thing. Patrice Bergeron is their second leading scorer for Boston. He's also their leading plus-minus guy for defense. So you know it goes both ways. Same with Jerome McGinley. Same with Lucic. Same with Chara. Same with Krejci. Same with all those guys. I think one big thing that we've missed this entire time is the fact that the Red Wings, with their speed, are definitely going to pose a challenge to that Boston defense. They are going to have a rough time slowing down Gustav Nyquist. I don't know if you guys remember the play where Gustav Nyquist made his way around Zdeno Chara and literally just made him look like a seven-year-old out on the ice, but he did that, and he's going to continue to do that within this series. I think it's going to be a massive point for the Red Wings to use their front speed to their advantage so you can't necessarily leave it all on the defensive end for either team but I would definitely say that the Red Wings need to use that speed absolutely but you know when it comes to Boston locking down a guy isn't just the defense it comes to a full five-man unit and that's why the Bruins are as good as they are they have those guys with that forward back pressure that when it comes to guys speedy guys like Nyquist like Jerko if you get a guy on his tail and you pressure him up on the front, it's just like the LA Kings won in 2012. I think they were probably the best what team that I can remember. What an awful Stanley Cup do. final that was. I, because they were just so dominant. Yeah, and that's how good. I think Boston is going to walk into this they series. They were not so dominant. New Jersey should have won that series. They didn't play up to it. It was had, I'm, I'm biased. It's because you are biased, first I'm, of all. I'm very but biased. It's, it's because you don't notice it. It's because there's no time and space. You think that these guys underachieve, but when the D step up and you have nowhere to move, you can't do anything with the puck, and that's what the Bruins do. That's why they're plus 84. This is the thing with Boston. This is so impressive for me. It's going back to my goals. I have two points here. It goes back to goals against. Boston is second in the NHL in goals against. 2.1 goals against per game. That's incredible. You look at Detroit, and it goes back to that defense. 16th in the NHL, so about mid-table, about 2.7 goals against per game. To me, the reason why Boston is successful is because they – 
are dominant on their power play, and they're great defensively. Lou mentioned the play where Boston is great controlling the puck. Boston is third in the NHL in power play percentage. They score on the power play 21.7% of the time versus Detroit is 18th at 17.7. I understand Detroit has been without their playmakers offensively, but my point is look at Detroit and look at Boston. Boston scores on the power play, which is extremely impressive and critical in the playoffs. And defensively, Goody, they're very, very good. I mean, you have to understand that, you know, Detroit prides themselves on not making mistakes. And I think you're going to see a lot of that from the veterans that are coming back from their injuries. The Red Wings are going to make a lot less mistakes coming down the stretch here in the playoffs. You're seeing a completely different team that you've seen the rest of the regular season. All right, this is the playoffs. It's hockey town, and that is what they fuel themselves off of. It's going to be a good series. I'm it, telling you that right now. It's going to be a great series, but we always like to bring our Twitter following in on the pact here. And we have one of our own. At Impact Sports, David DeFever, the host of Behind the Mask, he tweeted in, and he said, quote, Jimmy Howard will be the deciding factor in this series. If he doesn't play well, the Wings are in trouble. So I'm curious to know, guys, what we think about David's response. I think he's right, and I think that he understated it that. Goes I think if Jimmy Howard is an, an A-plus player, I don't think he has to play well. I think he's got to play spectacular for Detroit to win this And it series. goes back to my point defensively. If Jimmy Howard plays lights out and gives Boston a hard time, well, then so be it. But I think it goes back to defense is going to make or break the series. I'm thinking that Jimmy Howard is going to play lights out. He's a lights out goaltender in the playoffs, and we've been saying that all you know, the entire season we've been saying that. Fino, you've said that. Mm-hmm. Lou, you've even said that. You know, Jimmy Howard is a playoff goaltender. He's going to show you exactly why he keeps that starting position throughout the playoffs. Everybody thinks that Gustafson's going to get thrown in there, maybe even Peter Morazic. No. Jimmy Howard is going to take the series, and he's going to put it on his back because that's what he does in the playoffs. The reason why the Red Wings got to the playoff, the second round of the playoffs last year against the Blackhawks was because of Jimmy Howard, because he played shut-down goaltending. And you've seen that in the last 10, 15, 15, 20 games of this season that Jimmy Howard has been playing, he's made stellar saves. His transition has gotten 10 million times better than it has in the beginning of the season. He's recovered from the injuries that he's been having. He's been having very, very terrible knee, knee, uh, knee injuries throughout the entire season, and that's really, really harmful to a goalie, and he's fully getting over that now. To me, the point where Jimmy Howard, to me, has a very scary playoff record. He has a losing record in playoffs for his career, 20 wins versus 22 losses. To me, the most alarming thing is the goals against average in his career in the playoffs. 2.57 is the GAA in the playoffs. I think that's not good. And how many shutouts has he had in his NHL playoff career? Only two. So he's not going to shut out opponents. Okay, He's not going to play that well. He needs Detroit to keep him in the game. The save percentage is .918. So it's not electric. He's going to play average. You know what you're going to get out of Jimmy Howard in the playoffs. That's the point I'm trying to make. He's going to play average, if not good. But the thing is, Lou, you mentioned Jimmy Howard has to play spectacular in order for Detroit to win. I don't know if he can play spectacular for Detroit to win. My point is, I think Detroit gets it done with Jimmy Howard playing adequately. I I don't see that happening because Boston's going to throw everything but the kitchen sink, maybe even the kitchen sink. You might see one of those thrown out there at TD Garden. (laughs) They're going to throw it at Howard, you know, and and I don't – Goody said, you you know, you're right. He played really well last playoff, and he does play well, but he did not play as well as I think he needs to win this game. He didn't play well enough to beat Chicago, and I don't think he's going to play well enough to beat Boston. I don't think you could blame that I don't think you could. 
on Jimmy Howard at all. The, I agree the puck with you. Deflected off of Nicholas Cronwell in that last play. Well, guys, what, the, the, honestly, this is what I need to say right here: is that the Detroit Red Wings do not fall on their goaltender in the playoffs, and that's what it is. That's fine, but and, and you saw that with Dominic Kosick, you saw that with Chris Osgood, you saw that with Manny Legacy, saw that with Mike Vernon, you saw that with the last four go- goaltenders for the Detroit Red Wings. They will not fall on Jimmy Howard. I don't think it's going to come down to Jimmy Howard. He's a decent goaltender. He's a good goaltender, and he brings it out in the playoffs. There's no more doubt than he does Jimmy Howard is season. a great goaltender, Lou. I right, mean, but the thing is, I mean, obviously Detroit's not going to leave it all up to their goaltender, but, but Detroit might. hasn't won every single cup for the last 20 years. No. And when they lose playoff series, it's not because their goaltender played you know, out of control. He has to steal. He has to be J.S. Jaguar for the for the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. This is st- what I'm saying. And they still lost that Stanley this Cup. Is, exactly. That's the point. This is what I'm saying. You know, Detroit can do everything in their power, and unless Howard plays otherworldly, I don't see a win. Here's the. This is the point I want to make. Since we're talking goaltenders, Tuka Rask, who I absolutely love. He has played in 35 playoff games. Jimmy Howard has played in 42. And I'm bringing that point because the stats of Tuka Rass in the playoffs have been outstanding. 21 wins, 14 losses. A very a winning record. The GAA, remember Jimmy Howard's 2.5 GAA? Tuka Rass is his 2.14. Save percentage, 0.930. It's outstanding. Beauty. Okay, and when you look at it in, the sh- in shutouts, he's had three shutouts in the playoffs. Jimmy Howard's only had two, and Jimmy Howard's played in two more playoffs. But the thing is, Goody, is even if he's played in two more playoffs than he has, 35 games played versus 42. It's not that much of a disparity. Tuka Rask is something to watch out for. Absolutely. Tuka Rask is one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. But that's a key there. Absolutely. But what you are missing is the fact that Boston isn't prepared for what the Red Wings are going to be able to shoot at them. They haven't seen it the entire season. Nobody in the NHL has seen it the entire season. If you're picking Detroit, which, Fino, you said you were picking Detroit, if you want to keep picking Detroit, you're going to have to listen to this. You're going to have to listen to the fact that Daniel Alfredson, Pavel Datsuk, Johan Franzen, who have been in many playoff series, are going to steal the show and prove to Tuka Rass that he might need to get a little bit better just to beat that Detroit Red Wings team in the first round. 5174 432-3893 is our number. Guys, just bringing that down. And if you want to come and call in and discuss with us and embrace the Spartan debate, are you on Team Boston or are you on Team Detroit? Please let me know what you guys think here on the pack. Guys, quick wrap up here and before we take a quick break. To me, I think this is one last final point. I think when it comes down to it, we can talk about Detroit offensively. We can talk about Boston defensively. But to me, it is going to be nothing but a firecracker of a series. And when you look at it, I do have Detroit winning in seven games. To me, my mind wants me to pick Boston, but my heart is picking Detroit. And in this situation, I absolutely hope it's really heart over mind, usually not mind over matter. We'll take a quick break here on the Pact. We'll be real quick when we come back. We're talking a little... Detroit Tigers. Happy birthday, Brad Ausmus. And guys, we'll be back on The Pact. You're listening to The Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building. Without all that 
smoking. Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues. Your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. And now back to the Pact here on 88.9 FM. That is right, everyone. Your host, Fino, alongside here on the Pact here on 88.9 FM, WDBM East Lansing. And for our third and final segment here on the Pact, we are talking Detroit Tigers baseball. And I mentioned it going into our break. It is the manager of the Detroit Tigers, Brad Ausmus. It is his birthday today. So we want to give a special shout out from everyone here in East Lansing, Michigan, and here at the Pact. Special happy birthday to you, Brad, and we are very fortunate to have you as the manager of the Tigers, and I know many Tiger fans nationwide are really looking forward to what you will bring to the team. But guys, i got to talk about the Tigers. Ten games finally in the season. They have six wins, six and four so far. So, Faith, let's bring you back in here. What do you think so far about this Detroit Tigers start? I know it's early. But what do you think so far? It's definitely early in the season, so I think it's hard to tell what's going to happen in the future. But just from these 10 games, like you said, 6-4, and four, there's definitely been a problem with a poor bullpen, and I think everybody can probably speak for that, as well as there's kind of been this offensive struggle. So um, there's those are two of the biggest things that the Tigers are facing right now. You mentioned their bullpen. And before I get into their bullpen real quick, I just kind of want to talk about this season so far for Detroit. I do think it's an early season, but it, you know, I want to just bring up how competitive I think the Central is going to be this year. I know, I like I said, I'm reiterating, it's very early in the season, but Detroit is leading the charge in their division, but they've only played 10 games. The Sox are play 13, so they're behind them at 7-6, half a game back. But to me, I think Minnesota's going to be great. You can't sleep on the Royals, and you can't sleep on Cleveland. Cleveland made it to that wild card game last year. Minnesota, I think, will be better. Chicago will be better with Abreu really playing some great baseball. To me, I like Detroit, but what they're doing is they have to score more runs. And for the offense that they have, they only have 40 runs scored versus the Chicago team has 80 runs scored. So they are second to last in their division in runs scored. I know it's a small sample side, Goody, but to me, the Tigers got to start putting up some runs so this bullpen can get a little cushion, it not? Yeah, absolutely. And I honestly, I'm kind of disappointed in the play of Miguel Cabrera. I had a lot of hype going, you know, with him into the... Into you the, did. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, he's one of my favorite players in baseball. He's one of the best players in baseball, and I'm going to stick to that. But he definitely does need to step up with that bat, hit a couple more home runs out of the park. I mean, guys, let's check this out. He only has one home run this season and four RBIs, and, you know, he's only hitting... 
225 right now. That is un-Miguel Cabrera-like, and, you know, I definitely think he's going to take that into account. He's going to mix it up a little bit. Okay, but guys, now, you mentioned Miguel Cabrera. I'm going to leave that point aside for one second, because Faith mentioned the bullpen struggles. I think this is a big thing here. I think, is Joe Nathan right now, the way he's playing, I think Joe Nathan is playing atrocious. He's not stepping up at all, and he's not really what you thought you'd get out of Joe Nathan, Faith. So to me, I think Detroit's success is going to come down to the closer, just like last year with Papa Grande. I'm just curious to know what you think on that one. Well, I just want to point out some stats right here. You know, they're 24th worst in the MLB overall for bullpen and the 11th worst in the AL. And they all, you know, central. So, it, you know, this is absolutely terrible. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? But, yeah, Joe Nathan, you know, dead arm right now. Um, I mean, how, you know, do you, how do you have a dead arm this early in the season? You see what I'm saying? I don't buy that. I just think he's not playing effective. To me, if you have a dead arm, okay, and Yales is nodding his head behind the glass. At least I know I got our EP on my side. But wait, if you have a dead arm 10 games in the season, why are you getting paid millions of dollars? To me, I think that's bogus. I agree 100% with that statement. How do you have a dead arm this early in the season? Joe Nathan is playing pathetic. He has a terrible ERA. He has tons of earned runs upon him. He's playing literally against Baltimore. The Tigers are winning 7-1 going into the ninth inning, and they closed the gap to 7-6. They still won the game, but regardless, that should have never happened. What but was that? Joe Nathan leads the team and wins, though, with two. So there you have it with Joe Nathan. <laughs> but... To me, big co- deal. They get run support. I mean, you're not, do they? Because Phil Coke's ERA is 16 plus. Oh my gosh. Okay, Joe Nathan's ERA is nine plus. Albuquerque has played in the. He has the most appearances in six, and their ERA is 4.9. To me, those are key guys in your bullpen that should be playing well, and they're not. I know it's early, Lou, but it's. I still think it's reason for concern. I definitely think it's reason for concern, but I don't think it's reason to throw Joe Nathan under the bus yet. Now, I want to talk about the dead arm thing. You know, I'm, I'm throwing I'm him not, under I'm the not, bus for that. I'm not super accustomed to you know pitching and baseball and all of that, but it does seem a little fishy this earlier in the season. But I don't know why he's got to come out and say it the way he did. That's what bugged me. It's weird. I, it, I, it was. It's, you know? He's 39 years old, so I understand it to that aspect. But to me, if you have a dead arm 10 games in the season, something is fishy, is it not? I'm with you there. But uh, let's talk about that run support. Detroit, you know, big bats. That's that's kind of what our thing is. And they're, what are they? I think they're 27th, 26th in the league in hits. That's yeah. pretty That's pretty shabby. So there's your run support. Yeah, I, I mean, the run support, you know, that's something that you would expect out of the Detroit Tigers. You know, going back to this bullpen situation with Phil Coke, a 16.2 ERA, that's pathetic. I think the Detroit Tigers did not make, I, I've been saying this for a while now, actually, that the Tigers did not make enough moves in the offseason in their bullpen to try and compete to the level that everybody expects them to. Everybody, you know, expects the, the Tigers to, you know, compete, go to the playoffs, do extremely well in the playoffs, maybe even contend for a World Series, and pfft, that's not going to happen. If you th- if you think that's going to happen, right now it's not with the way that bullpen is playing. John Yales, our statistician, is always informing me of the stats and clarification. Detroit is 26 in the MLB in hits. Okay, 86. But it's okay, Detroit fans, because my New York Mets are second to last in the major leagues <laughs> with 84 hits. So it is A-OK. They are almost on par with the Houston Astros with 78 <laughs> hits. So it's okay. It's a lot of giddy times here. But oh, but it gets better, guys. So just so you know, there is some sun in Detroit. When things are bad, there's a team in New York that isn't named the Yankees that is terrible. Because the Mets not only are second 
to last in the major leagues in hits. They are second to last in the major leagues with average, and their average is 207. Only second to Houston. So when it all's said and done, I think the run support has been terrible, but that still doesn't eliminate the fact that Detroit's bullpen has been terrible. To me, that is a stat supporting the starting pitching, but it, not the bullpen, Lou. Not the bullpen. All right, I'm going to throw out an excuse here, a little lame excuse. Oh, you know, jeez. Uh, you know, everything – you know, I work in the news, you know, over there at WILX. I want to throw We're that fortunate out to have you here at WDBM. I know, I'm a pro. What can <laughs> I say? But anyways, <laughs> you know, lots of things are down. You know, car sales down, all this stuff down because of the weather, and it's attributed. So, you know, maybe Joe's got a little bit of a frozen arm there. doesn't know exactly. Frozen arm? Ten games <laughs> in the season? I mean, after the terrible winter that Michigan has seen, maybe? Yeah, but man. Been- I think once the weather heats up – honestly, I honestly do think it's early in the season for all of this. I think that I'll tell you, you why know, I don't. I'll tell you why I don't buy that because they just went on a West Coast trip. I, they already I, played an early play. They were playing. They were playing San Diego in LA. I was trying to be facetious, but the thing is, I know, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's crap. <laughs> yeah, it, that's what I'm saying. The thing is, it's a joke. But at the same time, you know, let's let's wait for the season to heat up a little bit. I guess that's the metaphor I'm trying mm-hmm. to make. I agree with you 100, percent Lou. I mean, ten games into the season, we do need to wait for things to heat up. And obviously, we're going to have this debate here because you know the Tigers bullpen is playing terrible. They've been playing terrible for the past couple of years. That's why the debate is on the table. Of course, Phil Coke, Al Albuquerque, they've had poor seasons the past two consecutive seasons. But those moves should have been made the off season. I personally think, and this is just me, my opinion. I think that the Tigers are going to make bullpen trades if they want to be able to compete for a big playoff spot. They might have to, guys. They might have to. And they did play L.A., who leads the major leagues at this point in extra base hits. 47. But if you look at where Detroit is, guys, that's their bread and butter. Detroit needs to play better offensively, Faith. They are 25th in the majors with extra base hits. 29. No, I agree completely with that. I want to bring back the bullpen, though, because we're talking about, like, you know, we got Drew Smiley, who everybody is on the, you know, verge. It's, you know, is he the fourth Is he going to be fifth? the new closer? Well, is he? Well, he's starting. He's starting on Wednesday. I think so I'm pull- excited that he will be starting, but I think trades are going to be needed to be done because ultimately who is going to be a reliever i heard this um i forget where i heard this from i don't know if i read it i heard it on air someone suggested that drew smiley might be a a potential closer candidate down the road would you rather have him a closer or a really like a i think detroit is in a very very fortunate situation that they have two cy young pitchers on their staff that being said if the bullpen does not improve and you can't go out and acquire someone via trade look maybe you have to go out and make drew smiley your closer Listen, I think it's too t- – the closer is Joe Nathan, and I'm going to stick to that. I agree. But but I dead think, arm? I think our – dead arm, forget about the dead arm. I think the problem is the, our lack of lefties from the bullpen, and that's where Drew Smiley's absence from that bullpen is, is the problem. You know, he is our fifth or fourth pitcher or whatever, but our lack of lefties, that's why we have to throw Phil Coke in there. And Phil Coke – you know, he's been good, he's been bad, and he's been, been re- usually bad, and that's the thing. I think that's where we're lacking. Have I think they been we need relying- another left-arm reliever. Maybe, but have they been relying on Phil Coke too much to be your lefty specialist, which is why his ERA is north of 16? Absolutely. That Absolutely. has to be 100%. it. Ian Kroll is the other one that's a lefty that we need to start depending on a little bit more. Or, or, or is this just or is this just inexperience on Brad Auspice's take on how to manage a bullpen? He's I, never managed a team before. I, 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 I am kind of concerned I think it's a lack that. of talent in the bullpen. You can't pin that on Brad Ausmus. I think it's both. It's the lack of, no, 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 no. It's the lack of talent in the bullpen. I think it's a talent issue, and I also think it's not only a talent issue, but it might be an inexperienced issue on Brad Ausmus here. 
So to me, that's a good point, guys. But as, as always, on the pact, we're embracing the Spartan debate. Go Wings or go Bruins? We debated pretty nicely. Thanks for everyone for t- uh, tweeting us on Twitter for the pact and the conversation. And a special thanks to Faith for being here with us, Austin Goodman, Lou DeVizio, our Bruins fan, and John Yales, our executive producer behind the glass, managing our social media. For everyone here on the Pact and MSU Impact Sports, I'm your host, Fino, signing off. We'll catch you every Mondays from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. here at 88.9 FM, WDBME Slansing. For Faith, Austin, Harry, who is not here, and Lou, I'm your host, Fino, signing off. We'll see you next Monday.